Welcome back to Nordic Fintech Magazine, the place where we talk about the future of financial services and banking from a Nordic perspective. Our purpose here is to uncomplicate finance, to uncomplicate banking, to make things easy and engaging for you to understand. And today we're going to be talking about the future of our monetary system and why that's important for you. Modern banking emerged to satisfy two main needs. First of all, the need to store money safely. And secondly, the need to make the distribution of money much more efficient. Back in the 1700s, if you had some money left at the end of the month, you might want to go out and lend it to someone, get your money to work for you and maybe charge a small interest for it. In order to do that, you would have to go out to the streets and maybe find someone who hopefully was in need of some money and also someone that would be willing to pay the interest that you wanted to charge for it. Now, of course, this was very inefficient and also very risky because you didn't know if the person that you were gonna be lending your money to would actually be able or even willing to pay you back. So instead, you could go to the bank deposit your money and let the bank find borrowers and people to lend that money to. For your trouble, of course, the bank would pay you a small interest fee. They, they would go and find people to lend the money to, they will absorb the risk and they would charge those borrowers a higher interest rate than the one that they paid you. And that's how they made their money, they would pocket the difference. In fact, the banking business model hasn't really changed that much. Today, banks still make money out of exclusively charging interests, commissions and fees. So as the system became more and more complex, governments and central banks had to intervene and to develop more sophisticated forms of regulation. And this was to ensure that depositors' money would be kept safe. So the system is by no means perfect. It lends itself to different types of fraud, uh, including things like money laundering, identity theft, and other illegal activities. But for the most part, the system did what it was designed to do, which is to distribute money more efficiently. So banks and regulators were prepared to accept certain levels of fraud as the system for the most part worked fine. That is, of course, until the financial crisis of 2008. At that point, the global monetary system had become so complex that it became almost impossible for any central authority to keep tabs on what was happening, on all the innovation that was taking place, which of course led to unhealthy levels of risk being taken by banks. After the credit crunch, a group of technologists began to reimagine the global financial system. They did this by going back to the first principles of scarcity, proof of work and communal record keeping that we have discussed in previous videos. So the idea was to use technology to create a system that would protect the privacy of its users while at the same time making all transactions public and visible in real time to the entire community of users. By doing this, the system could pretty much protect itself against fraud, against malicious intent and other types of activities. Today we have reached a point in which technology can entirely replace the function of governments, central banks and regulators. It does so by entirely automating things like the issuance of currency, the record keeping of transactions, the enforcement of regulation and it does this all while removing the need for a central overseeing authority, which of course makes the transactions cheaper and faster. So what we're seeing goes far beyond an alternative monetary system. We are seeing the result of a monumental battle of ideologies that reaches to the core of how we organize our governments, 
our economies and our societies. On the one hand, we have the traditional monetary system, which is based on strong central institutions the society has appointed to look after our money. On the other hand, we have an open, transparent, unimmutable system that makes the need for central agencies completely obsolete and instead uses technology to issue currency, connect borrowers and lenders, keep track of all transactions and enforce regulation. The basis of these opposing views lie directly on the back of values such as freedom, transparency and equality of opportunity. You see, money is so embedded in the way that we live our lives that we have just come to accept the government's absolute monopoly over it. Assuming, of course, that there is no better way of dealing with it. But technologists disagree. New types of currency, specifically things like cryptocurrencies or stable coins, are created without the permission or involvement of the government or any other organism that oversees its functioning. These types of currency exist exclusively in peer-to-peer -peer networks and are regulated by code. This code is copied in real-time across thousands of computers connected to the same network, making it practically impossible to alter. If someone with malicious intent wanted to alter the system, they would need to be able to alter thousands of identical records stored across this, a distributed network of computers. So this technology is known as a distributed ledger technology, but is better known as blockchain. The distributed nature of blockchain technologies means that accountability for the proper functioning of the network is distributed amongst its users. And by removing the bank as the middleman, these systems are becoming more accessible, more transparent, and more democratic. Now, blockchain is based on systems that are designed to be extremely secure. If you don't believe me, then ask James Howells, a British man who accidentally threw away a hard drive containing the key code to his digital wallet, which had 7,500 bitcoins in it. Today, that would be worth a staggering 262 million euros. He spent the last eight years combing through his city's landfill with X-ray machines and artificial intelligence software in the hope of recovering the hard drive that will unlock his fortune. His 262 million euros are still safely in his account. So safe, in fact, that without a key, no one, not even him, can access them. So these systems are cheaper, fairer, more transparent and secure. What's not to like, right? Well, not so fast. The technology as it stands today presents a few sustainability concerns. Mainly the fact that in the case of Bitcoin and other cryptocurrencies, they require a significant amount of energy to operate. There is also a matter of capacity, whereas the more distributed the system is, the less transactions it can perform per second. However, technology is moving at a breakneck speed. And I believe that eventually these two concerns will be solved by innovation. The main concern, however, is that mistakes do happen. And at some point, your great-granduncle is going to press the wrong button on his computer and he's going to send all his pension savings over to an account in the Cayman Islands. And good luck recovering those funds. Today, if that were to happen, the system is built so that there is some intermediary, which is usually the bank, which is accountable for the functioning of the system and who is also liable when things go wrong. But who do you appeal to when there is no one in charge? Can we really trust entirely on code? Another thing we should be concerned about 
is the fact that while there may not be a central organism accountable, these systems are being developed by groups of coders. The attributes and the governance of each blockchain originates with the developer. And do we really want to entrust our finances to groups of unaccountable and unelected technologists? It has already happened with the world's information flows. If you are on Facebook, on Instagram, TikTok, LinkedIn, you have already given these networks power over your data, power over your content and your attention. You may remember pressing an accept button that declared that you were in agreement with a whole bunch of legal jargon that you couldn't understand when you joined these networks. And for the most part, it was fine, as long as you were only sharing cute cat videos and pictures of your breakfast. But we are already seeing companies like Google, like Facebook, Twitter, controlling the flow of information and determining what can and cannot be shared. Now, are we prepared to let big tech take control of the way in which we store, transfer and spend our money? Thank you so much for listening. If you've enjoyed this podcast, please be sure to subscribe to our channel or check out our website at nordicfintechmagazine.com for more transformational thought leadership.